Welcome everybody back to the Clear Out Podcast with your host, Matt Brooks. This podcast is brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. I am joined by Lucas Kaplan uh, of a whole bunch of violence, Nets Republic, Nets Daily, Roll Call Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Lucas underscore Kaplan. That's spelled K-A-P-L-A-N. Lucas is honestly like one of my two, three favorite I'll, i will expand it i don't want to hurt any feelings but people making nets content um i read everything he writes i listen to every podcast appearance that he has or everything that i can find everything that he shares um so i i'm just a big fan of his work we we go back and forth a lot about the things that uh, i think we're both very interested in uh which is i hope i hope you know more people are getting interested in that stuff as well um, the real nitty gritty details. But first, Lucas, first off, thank you for joining me. How you doing this evening? We're recording Tuesday night. So how's your Tuesday going? It's going great. I'm uh, in Seattle and it's, you know, raining. So I'm just chilling inside watching some basketball. I uh, appreciate that unnecessarily kind intro, um, but it's all mutual. And therefore, I'm pretty happy to be uh, on the pod, man. Uh, first off, what game do you got on? Uh, I was just watching, what was I just watching? I was just watching Hawks Wizards mm. uh, from a couple nights ago. I Let's hope me saying this on a podcast forces me to actually write it, but hopefully I got something on Cam Reddish coming out soon. That's a player I've been watching just because is he the most fake traded player in the NBA this year? Contenders, yeah. fans of contenders want him, fans of rebuilding teams want him. You know, I feel like I, I just have to know what it's about. I've seen his... Uh like effective field goal percentage uh, off pull-ups and catch and shoots like seven different times. It might just be the same person that I'm following. That might be uh, <laughs> a Kelly or somebody like that uh, who, who's on Hawks Twitter, but yeah, I've, I've seen his stats everywhere. So I'm excited to, to see that. And also it'll be good too, because we've, we've got the Hawks coming up tomorrow on Wednesday, which is like the first game I've probably been excited for since the heat game. I mean, respects to the Pacers and Pistons, but this one I'm a little bit excited to watch. Yeah, no, no, Cade kind of, kind of killed that Pistons game for me. Uh, everything killed it. There was a lot of, there was just a lot of Josh Jackson going on. It was, it was, it was interesting. I, I thought we were gonna get a big Kelly Olynyk game too. I felt like, you know, just knowing the Nets, Kelly Olynyk was gonna pop off for like twenty eight or something like that, but we didn't get that. So, um, let's get into what the topic of today's discussion is. Uh, we're gonna talk about three observations that we've had, really, I guess, in this early season whatever uh, period of time. And then we're going to go over three things that we bought, be watching for going forward. So what's the first thing that you've noticed so far? Well, it's the first thing that I think everybody else has noticed so far, which is just James Harden does not, has not looked like the same James Harden. And, you know, it's a little boring because, you know, it's not exactly a unique observation, but the reason that I think a lot of people thought, oh, the Nets could still win the East without Kyrie, this and that, that obviously hinges on James Harden being, you know, a debatable best offensive player in the world, caliber of player. And obviously he hasn't been that so far. Um, recently, I've just, there's been signs. For me, it's like, as long as you see somewhat of a level of progress and improvement each game, then I don't think there's anything to be worried about. If it starts stagnating, that's when I think you get worried. 
But to me, there's been marginal improvements each game. And, you know, until he shows that that's going to stop, I think Nets fans can breathe, you know, somewhat easy. Yeah, I'm, um, I, I've been pretty vocal that I'm watching the, uh, just the amount of burst that he's showing out the gates. Now, granted, like there are certain counters that he can have to supplement for a lack of burst. Like the play that comes up to me and something I just included um, in an article that I desperately need to edit right now is, um, is, is this, he, he had a play against Detroit. I think he had one against uh, the Pacers also where he drove, he was stonewalled by Kelly Olynyk, which was not great. Granted, there's like an, a defender helping over in the paint because the Nets have no spacing, which is another issue I'm sure we're going to get into right now. But he, he steps back and he hits a mid-range shot. So I guess that falls into something I'm watching for going ahead is like what counters he builds. But I think overall, I still am watching the burst, um, you know, his drives, even though he's been shooting really well. Uh, he's, I think he's like eight for 13 or something like that. Eight for 15, maybe on his last two games from three. Um, he's actually seen his drives decrease, which is odd. Uh, he was, I looked it up. He's was basically at 11 for most of the year and he's been at like eight drives per game in his last two games. So I'm, I'm curious to see if what, if that's just noise and, and just random sample stuff, it probably is. Cause I'm looking at like two game samples, but it is something I'm watching just to see how this all balances out, where his offensive flow comes from. Yeah, I think it, you can break it down into a few categories for him. You know, things you could be looking at. One, obviously, is the counters he builds. For me, I've been a huge proponent of get this guy, get this all-world passer and, you know, processor in the post. Uh, he had a couple possessions so far, which is, you know, more than he's had in his career. He had one, like, assist to LaMarcus Aldridge on the elbow. Uh, number two, the burst, as you've said, and separate from that, for me, number three, I think is general hesitancy, which is unrelated to burst. There was a play I clipped and posted from the Detroit game where he had the lane, he had the edge, you know, his defender on his hip going downhill off of a pick and roll, I think, off of that Chicago action they run Mm. all the time. And he just picked the ball up a step outside the paint. And it wasn't a lack of burst, you know, it wasn't him. Oh, I can't create any space. It would look to me just like a very conscious decision. I'm going to abort this drive early and it ended up being a turnover. So I think it is a mix of mindset and, you know, physical limitations. So I think with Harden, there's a number of different things you can look at. It's not just one, you know, sort of ailment. Yeah. Um, so with and that could be a positive thing, you know. If he improves one of those things, then he gets a lot better. Um, but it could also be, you know, the pessimist's view is that he has a few things to improve, so he might not get back to that level we saw last year. So he's just one of the more interesting players so far this year in terms of how different he looks just over five months ago. So it's just really interesting to see, and he's a guy I think a lot of people are going to be watching very closely for that reason. This feels like a crossroads in his career, kind of. Like, I I feel like we're going to see a lot of things by the end of the year that we kind of, like, maybe it's the post, you know, the the posting up, which you've been hitting on even before preseason. Maybe it is those little mid-range looks. Can we finally get him to take, you know, the the step-back 15- to 18-footer? Maybe those are the things that we see a lot more by the end of the year. And actually, like, that really makes him, like, a true three-level guy. Um, yeah. you know, which is weird. It, it's, I mean, you know, it, it feels like it's a diss to say that he's not like three level, but 
in a lot of ways, like he's all drives or step backs. And what he's doing is he's working off defenders' expectations with the threat of that step back or that burst to get to the rim. Um, and if, if he's limited in one of those things and he only has two options, well, then he's going to be pretty step back heavy. But if he has a third counter, whether it's the posting up, you know, taking a guy down to the post or, uh, and, or passing out and getting down to the post or, um, or just at the mid range stuff, then yeah, like that is, um, optionally, like it gives him more things that he can do on the floor. Yeah. I love that point. This is, it does feel like a huge crossroads year for him. Uh, we're starting to get in. I mean, this is, you know, the back half, the back third of his career. And he's not going to be the same player if he wants to remain, you know, an all-world offensive talent. So whether, you know, it's the posting up that a lot of offensive initiators have incorporated to their games as they get older, whether it's the the mid-range. I mean, this could be definitely the year we look at, at his Hall of Fame speech or whatever, as right. a divergent path. Um, his jump shot, I think, I think he should be a good mid-range scorer because he doesn't really explode off the ground in his jump shots. He's used to taking the step backs. I mean, the one he hit against Kelly Olynyk, you'd think he was, you'd think he was Chris Middleton. It just, it, it's mind-boggling that when he chooses to do it, it looks so natural. Right. And yet he never does. Yeah. And he like, he's popping more like South North, I guess that's the best. I don't know. There's gotta be a better way to put that, but he's, he's covering ground backwards in a way where he's not elevating in the air and losing any of his momentum that way. Like, I mean, I guess I'm just making the point you just made, Uh, but it is, it, it feels like the level of energy efficiency that he has on those plays is something that it's just, it, it would make sense to add that in a lot of ways. And I can see why people like bang their heads in a lot of ways to be like, why is this not a part of his game in a way? And it's kind of weird to think about. Like, if, if there is a world where if he had that in his bag, and let's, I don't want to say he can't do those things, but let's say it was something that he deployed regularly when he was at his athletic prime. I mean, I don't even know what you'd do with that. Yeah, I think, I think it was one of those things that didn't really matter as much. Now, maybe you can argue, you know, in the playoffs, there's more set defenses, you know, defenses that are schemed more that would have made a big difference in some of those warriors series but he didn't need to be a three-level guy a lot of the time because he dominated the most important two levels or the two levels that nba offenses prioritize the most at historic levels in each of them i mean he was an all-time you know maybe just behind steph curry and i say just behind intentionally because he really invented a new way of playing offense with the step back one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time and one of the greatest drivers of all time because he just defenders bounced off of him and he was a great passer and now no matter what happens with the hamstring and the hesitancy and the burst he's not an all-time great level finisher anymore I don't think he has been last year even before the hamstring injury I mean there were valid whispers last year of hey this is not the same Harden that we saw in 2018, 2019, he's lost a little bit of a step. And that was a very natural thing. I mean, he has a bunch of minutes on his body and he's 32. It wasn't as drastic as it is now, but it feels like the injury and whatever's going on now has only forced or sped up what's a very natural thing to happen to guys, you know, his age and his mileage. Well, I think the other thing is like, and this gets into my observation is like, he also just the weapons that he has around him this year are much more limiting for what he does. So the spacing, there's a couple things. His pick and roll options are limited right now. 
I mean, the I think the best we've seen of anything so far is, you know, uh, LaMarcus's little pick and roll, I guess, to like 15 yeah. feet out. Like, that's their best play out of the pick and roll right now. And it's because he's shooting. I think I looked it up today. He's, he's made, uh, I think he scored 14 points on 10 pick and pop possessions. LaMarcus has. <laughs> that's the 100th percentile. That's what they're oh. living off of right now. <laughs> like, that's their best play. And then that doesn't even get into their spacing otherwise, which is, I just, I don't know. There's certain plays where they have, you know, in the corners, maybe they have one of Joe Harris or Patty Mills there, but then it's like Javon Carter in the other corner or Blake Griffin. And the defense is going to help, whether it's weak side or strong side, they don't care. They're going to help off those guys. And they're going to, they're going to just completely crowd the paint. So in a way, he doesn't have the luxury of having, one of Kyrie Irving or Joe Harris or Kevin Durant in the corners, and a really, really, really solid, if not damn near elite rolling option in Jeff Green, popping or, or rolling to the rim. There's two things I want to touch on in that sense, and they're both they're both exactly things I've been thinking. One, the Harden Green Harris led bench units of last season, you know, or Harden. Harris Shamit, just a shooter, and Jeff Green, who was a great, great role man, not only because, you know, he's still dunking on fools, but also because he could also pop out and hit that three very reliably. There's just not that this year. And so when you don't have an explosive leaping role man, as we've seen, that takes away one of Harden's greatest strengths. And secondly, without Kyrie, not only does the shooting and the spacing options around him get worse, but there's no sort of creator who can get the ball from the perimeter to the rim. And I've said that on the podcast that I've done so far, but Kyrie probably even more so than Harden and KD is their best, most forceful, most athletic guy who can take the ball in his hands from 25 feet out to the rim. And that speaks to, you know, Kyrie being six, one being an unbelievable offensive talent, but it makes Harden's lack of getting to the rim and lack of burst all the more apparent and obvious when you're watching games. There were times last year, especially early on when he was being really passive and not putting a lot of pressure on the rim. And it wasn't as big of an issue because you had Kyrie having the best offensive season of his career and getting to the rim often. So there's just a lot of compounding factors, whether it's him, whether it's roster construction. I think in some, if you had to characterize what we were saying about Harden is it's not just one thing. Agreed. Um, yeah, and I, I even the I mean the foul drawing's been kind of you know at this point we've heard every take under the sun about it, and I'm partially responsible for that. Uh, but you know even that I think is something he's adjusting to it. I, I do think he's adjusting yeah. to it and playing more to score than to draw contact. But there are still plays where you see it here and there, um, and I do wonder if that is like still kind of playing a role in him not being fully aggressive getting to the rim. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, it is just kind of, I think Nikias Duncan did a really good job summarizing everything in his article for basketball news. Like it really is a combination of factors. Um, I, I, so I'm going to hit on this spacing thing. What have you thought of the spacing? Yeah. So it's, I mean, again, the Pistons, you know, the Pacers, it's getting, it's improving slightly, which, you know, it is expected as guys are getting more familiar with their roles and this and that, but it's hasn't been great. Hasn't been great. And part of that is roster construction and lineups, because when you have Millsap and Aldridge or 
when you have one of Millsap or Blake Griffin as not the worst shooter on the floor, but the second worst shooter on the floor, helping for the defense just becomes so much easier. As you said a couple minutes ago, it doesn't matter whether Blake Griffin is on the strong side or the weak side or the top of the key or this and that or behind half court. Defenses are helping off of him and essentially treating him as a non-shooter. Um, and then secondly, there's been a bunch of possessions where they're just not utilizing the spacing they yep. have. Great. There's Blake and Bruce on the same side of the court. Yep. Um, just things like that where you go, okay, this isn't the maybe the world's best shooting team that we've ever seen of last year. But even then, you're still not utilizing what you have in the best manner. So I sound like, you know, I, I sound like I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, but it's a, it's a combination of things right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up with like guys on the same side of the floor. Because I in like let's say if a you know the Nets will get out into like a semi transition and they'll they'll space the floor they'll have an advantage where they have you know a a little touch I'm sure you've seen the play a hundred times where it's like touch pass from KD to Joe to to Mills in the corner that looks great when you have half court possessions where it's like Mills and Harris on one side of the floor and then it's Bruce and Blake on the other side of the floor I just don't know if the balance is always there in a way. Um, and you almost want to split up Joe and, and Patty on, you know, both sides of the floor, if you have those two guys. I'm also going to say, like, with, with Millsap and Blake, there are a lot of times where those guys are your second best shooters on the floor, not including the ball handler. And I think yeah. those guys are better optimized as, like, option number three, which you'd obviously have with Kyrie Irving in the lineup um, yeah. in the mix with Joe Harris and, and Patty Mills. Uh, or Kevin Durant, I guess, if you want, if you were to include him as one of your off-ball guys, though they can't do that as much right now because he's kind of a primary ball handler. So it's uh that's that's been another tough like tough mix for them is their shooters, if you want to call them that, uh, are big men, and two thirds of those big men are shooting like career worse or or close to career worse. I think this is Paul Millsap's worst three point percentage again seven games, but worst three point percentage in like a decade. Um, and again, small sample, but. That's what we're looking at right now. Yeah, exactly. I do like that Paul Millsap in the last couple of games um, said, F it. I'm, I don't yes. care how well the closeout is, whatever. I'm just, I'm going to the rim. I don't care. I'm doing a spin. I'm kicking out. And honestly, some of it was a little like, oh, this dude is 36. But like a lot of it was pretty good. He had that one ridiculous spin move. I think he messed up the finish, but he had a couple nice passes. And hey, if the shot's not falling, do that. That was good. Um, but yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. And it's just tough because guys aren't going to necessarily respect Blake and, and Millsap from three anyway, but when they're both just having awful, awful shooting starts, it just compounds the issue. Um, and a lot of it sometimes tangentially related to the spacing is, oh, that's a beautiful possession, drive, kick, swing, pass, balls moving. And then it ends up, you know, a two-on-one on the weak side where it's Blake and Joe Harris and the defender, instead of closing out to Blake, yep. just runs to Joe Harris and says, all right, you take this open three. So even sometimes the, the great possessions with good spacing, they end with a Blake Griffin three. So your best possessions are ending with a win for the defense, which just kind of wasn't a thing last year. Um, I think the best possession we've seen, it happened last game, Harden, empty side, pick and roll with Bruce Brown. Uh, Pistons trap for some reason. 
but Blake is at the top of the key. So, you know, it's harder for his man to help and play the weak side or whatever. Bruce swings to KD, KD swings to Joe in the corner. That was the first possession I saw where it was like, that's, you know, vintage nets. Um, but yeah, there just hasn't been many of those. And there's been possessions where it's like, why are guys standing there? Right. I think it's I think funny they, in that Pistons. I Sorry. No, they might I agree. Dan Tony so go ahead. Sorry. The attention to detail, I feel like, has been there a lot less this year. And granted, different roster. Um, and, and like, it's weird. Like, even a guy like Tyler Johnson, I think, would be, like, massively helpful. He's not even, yeah. like, he shoot, what, he shot, like, 36%, I think, last year, somewhere in that range, 37 that's a lie. He had every, I, I don't remember. That's, I said this so many times. I don't remember him missing a shot. There's no way he shot less than 40%. There's I, no way. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I thought it, it like just, I mean, he was a guy like, and I'm wondering if defenses felt that way. I don't remember guys like cheating off him. No, dude. No, it, not at all. He, there must've been like a game that was blacked out in New York where he shot like one of 20 from three. That's like been wiped out from all NBA servers forever. That and it has to be what it is. And it's like, you know, even that guy just being in the rotation, I think would help to a degree. I mean, it's funny. You mentioned that Pistons game. There was a possession where Joe went up to the rim, which is another thing I need to get into in a bit, yeah. but Joe oh, went boy. up to the rim. Three defenders are there. Lowry helps off. Javon Carter uh, in the corner, which makes sense. Like, I think he's like, that's his rotation is the low man. Mm-hmm. So he helps. Uh, Markeith Morris completely ignores Bruce Brown from floater range because he's like, A, Joe Harris is not going to make this pass. B, I can just play Joe Harris and uh, Bruce, I guess, and play for the passing lane. Um, and then you have <laughs> uh, Max Struess with the easiest uh, split the difference decision where he's <laughs> like, okay, do I guard uh deandre bembry at the you know right slot area or do i sort of shift over and like not really care that much about javon uh, carter in the corner so and it's like (laughs) the possession ends with joe just getting like packed at the rim and it was just like okay yeah these are the possessions where um a it's i mean part of its lineup but b it's like the just the optimization is not all the way there um and then you had you know somebody like paul Millsap at the top of the key so it's like, I don't know. I mean, again, that's more of a lineup problem, but they're just, it's funny. They're still kind of working through the kinks that way. Yeah. I, isn't it, okay, I'm going to address that in a second, but isn't it weird that Tyler Johnson is not like signs to an, and to a team? Do, is he really like that? He's not one of the 450 best. I mean, that's just kind of surprising to me. I mean, there is literally a, there are players on last year's Nets roster that are on the teams that I don't think, I can't say I expected. Uh, to be on rosters over Tyler Johnson. <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. I guess I guess people weren't really watching the film of those, you know, January Nets games. Without when he was Kate. full court pressing and it was like, oh my God, defense. Like, this is, I don't even know what's going on here. <laughs> oh God, that, that feels like eons ago. It but really does. Going um, back to your point. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't really have anything to add. That's exactly what you said. What's your, uh, what's your second point? Observation, I should say. Second observation, more of a, I guess, minor one. They're figuring out how to use LaMarcus Aldridge beyond just the pick and pop, and he's been a revelation. I tweeted this as well, but they figured out how to use him as a role man a little bit, and I didn't really anticipate that happening, but there were a few possessions in the the heat. No, I think the – no, I actually think it was a Pistons game where – if a net gets doubled at the top of the key, LaMarcus is their best 
short role guy right now. And not because he's making plays out of it, you know, like you'd expect maybe a Blake Griffin to do, but because he rolls with his back to the basket, which, you know, you're taught not to do. You want to run kind of parallel and see both and be able to go up for a lob. But he doesn't have to worry about that. No one's throwing him lobs. He's not finishing over anybody. So his roles sort of turn into these pseudo post-ups where he catches it with not a lot of momentum towards the basket. But that ends up helping him because he can set his feet and flow into a little eight-foot, you know, floater, mid-range jump shot, you know, combination, or a little hook shot. Uh, So if that's like a short-term answer to their problems or, you know, just a Band-Aid that isn't great, that, you know, works somewhat, I think – I think that is something that they can keep going to. And it just speaks to the overall point of, yeah, he's hitting his shots, which is great. But, man, LaMarcus has been their third best player. He's been awesome. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's it's funny. Like, I also just like the idea of he kind of buys you time if you want to pair. If you want to try to – because, like, they're starting to experiment with lineups without either of Durant – and Harden on the floor, which I think is good. I'm in the camp of like, do not you know burden Kevin Durant with whatever thirty five you know thirty pick and roll reps a game. Um, you know, there's just no like. I mean, I get it; it's going to keep you afloat, but it's also like, you know, he's kind of like he's the Ferrari in the in the garage. Like, you don't want to wear down the the Ferrari in a game against the Indiana Pacers in your first six games with making him handle and generally just have to run the offense. I mean, we kind of saw what that looks like against Milwaukee where that's a big burden for him to take on and, and kind of make plays from there. So um, I like that. I like that they can just dump it down to him um, and, and say, Hey, like we're going to make plays from there. Now, granted, I'd love to see him. Let's say they do that. They run, you know, a lineup with Joe and Patty and LaMarcus. A, I yeah. want to see Patty with LaMarcus all, all the time. Cause they just have, like this Spurs mind meld and just make magic. It's 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 like the one guy that I think Patty's look pretty good in the pick and roll with, um, and just generally making plays for the offense. Uh, but I also want to see it because if they're going to dump the ball down to Lamarcus, maybe you pair him with somebody like Joe Harris and you can run split cuts on the opposite side of yeah. the floor, or you could even have Durant on the floor and do something like that as well. Like I want them to experiment with that stuff and not just say, "Hey, Lamarcus, run the offense." Here's Bruce Brown, DeAndre Bembry, Javon Carter, and like, good luck, man. <laughs> like, they got away with it last game, but I mean, you know, yeah, that can that can that those lineups where it's Lamarcus and then you know the the Motley crew uh, work decent. There are some innings they can eat, you know, particularly against maybe poor teams. And on defense, it works because you can play him and drop, and all those guys are just ferocious getting around screens um, and bothering ball handlers. But on offense, yeah, it's a little bit too much on his plate. Um, I would like to see him as somewhat of a post-hub screening for Patty Mills or whatever and getting down on the block because even if you look at the numbers over a long period of time and it's like, yeah, LaMarcus looks good posting up, but, you know, his points per possession are only this much because he's taking a bunch of 12-foot fadeaways. It doesn't really matter because if he's switched on to somebody – that is less than six, seven guys are going to show aggressive help on him. Like every time he gets somewhat of a mismatch down on the post, it's at least one and a half guys in help. You know, and I say half because the guy's not, you know, completely doubling, but he's really shaded over. So it's like a pseudo double team. 
that is, you know, that is a great, you tweeted this term, that's a great innings eater on offense, because even if he's not taking the shot, it opens you up to run those split cuts, you know, for guys like Patty and Joe. And then you have Bruce Brown, maybe, or Bembry at the same time as a part of those lineups, who's cutting down the middle, who knows how to fill those spots. So I didn't think I'd be saying this seven, eight games into the season or whatever, but LaMarcus has played great on offense and maybe even deserves a bigger role. That's been one of the most fascinating storylines of the season so far. Yeah, it'll be curious to see. I mean, part of it too is like, I wonder if they just keep it as is because they like him in this role where he's getting the touches he wants off the bench. He's getting the option to kind of run. I mean, it's fun like to watch an offense sort of be run out of the post is really intriguing. And if you're, as you mentioned, like if you're forcing those rotations, you're forcing a guy to shade over and then you're putting the other defender in a position where he's basically gapping between two guys on the weak side, that's where you see a guy like Bruce Brown or or Andre Bembry really excel because he's going to say, oh, there's one guy guarding two players. Great. I'm going to cut into the paint. And then that's an easy little dump off opportunity since uh, LaMarcus is seven feet tall, can see over just about anybody and just drop it down. Um, so it's fun. I mean, I, I think they're going to make it work. I want to see them tap into it more. And like, that'll be the biggest way they can like get their offensive efficiency up when they don't have their main guys on the floor. Right. Um, so um, do you have anything else on this point I'll, I'll, before I get in my second one? Um, not much. I will say if Blake Griffin cut on the weak side and, you know, operated in two on ones like Bruce Brown does, we might not be talking about the spacing as much because Bruce, even though Blake, maybe over the long run has been a better three-point shooter than Bruce Brown. That might change this year. I love when it's Bruce and a shooter on the weak side or a two-on-one or whatever, because Bruce fills those gaps so well. A guy can't just cheat off of Joe or turn his back to Bruce. He has such a good understanding of when to fill the lane, this and that. So I think, you know, the post offense as – you know, it might not, it might seem counterintuitive just because spacing or whatever, but Bruce Brown operating in an offense that is run through the post is really intrigues me because you have this North South guy at applying pressure on the rim, cutting, um, forcing the defense to suck in to respect his cuts, which opens up shooters. Or if they don't, he gets to the rim and Lamarcus can dump it down to him because he has that excellent size. So there's a lot of intrigue there. And yeah, I think. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year you look at LaMarcus Bruce lineups and you go, whoa, that's an offensive rating I didn't expect. And, you know, it could be for that reason. But other than that, yeah, no, I think we covered it. Cool. LaMarcus, very good yes. so far. Um, I want to talk about the defense, which looks really good. Uh, it By all accounts, I like their – well, first of all, they've kind of shifted their scheme. Um, yeah. They're dropping back a little bit more, which is – interesting uh i i gotta say i did not see that coming in a lot of ways i thought they'd be switching pretty much everything to come into the year except for when lamarcus was in just because of a i thought clax was going to be um a little more present and 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 effective uh again i hope he gets well soon and and that will be a big factor for them if they can get him fully optimized uh but b i just sort of figured like you know you have blake griffin that's a guy they switched with i don't really know what he offers and drop same goes for Millsap. I just sort of figured they'd switch everything. And now that I'm watching it in person and kind of getting a feel for it, it's like, oh, yeah, you have Patty Mills and Javon Carter and Bruce Brown, uh, DeAndre Bembry 
Like all these guys that are really good at yeah. fighting around screens. They're like Patty Mills, I think, is like the I him and Bruce have just been so good at recovering in front of ball handlers. And Joe Harris honestly has been pretty good in the last couple of games yeah. that as well, which has been it just I don't know, it's been something I haven't seen in the past. Part of it is he hasn't been in that role to do that. Um but they have got this like really niche kind of scheme where it's dictated by their guards. It's really interesting. It is. It's it's so not the nets of last season, what you would expect. Just that they have a defense that's like built around their guards' ability to harass guys on the perimeter. And last year, at times, effort, personnel, whatever, they were wet tissue paper on the perimeter. They couldn't stop ball penetration. And this year, it's a total shift. And it started with that Sixers game, I think. And that was the first time, I mean, it was only the second game of the season. But I noticed a lot of possessions like, whoa, Patty Mills is, is like stick them on these guys. And Joe Harris, not known for his screen navigation abilities in the past, is doing a pretty good job this year. Yep. Uh, that stood out to me on film. And this could be a thing where it's a contender going, all right, we need to have counters in the playoffs. It's six, seven months away, whatever but we need to be able to play a variety of ways based on the opponent. If there's an opponent where Bruce Brown and Mills or Bembry really work and they're not great pull-up shooters, we want to find a way to get these guys on the court and optimize their value. Um, You can tell it's something they've worked on in training camp. And there were possessions, as you said, when Clax was still around where they were dropping him. Yeah, Uh, LaMarcus is pretty much since the second, third game, always been a drop. But there's been some of that with Millsap and Blake too. It's looked really good and better than I would have thought. So that I think is a just the fact that they're doing it and it looks pretty good is an overwhelming positive. It just gives you hope that this is a team that's going to be able to play a lot of different ways and that on defense. And that is something that you would not have expected based on last year and going into this season. I mean, maybe they were scarred after last year's first round, which, you know, didn't really matter in the end, but of the Celtics getting whatever switch they wanted with Blake and Tatum just torching him. Maybe they thought, you know, if we play a better team with an even better score than Tatum in the playoffs this year, we can't just soft switch everything and say, all right, have your pick. I'm going to argue as the second series. I thought they just, they were dropping with Blake. And it just was not something they looked familiar with. Um, and, and in a way, like, it was like, all right, we're going to drop. And it, the first couple games, it worked. By the end of it, it's like Giannis has got this figured out. Uh, Middleton's getting guys on his hip, and, and he's basically getting any shot he wants. So I wonder if that was the series. Because I feel like a lot of their moves this offseason kind of reflect that series. You know, you bring yeah. in James Johnson, you bring in Millsap. It's like, okay. You know, uh, there was a piece, I think, on 538. uh, I think it was Jared Dubin, I think, who did that one, um, talking about, like, the guys that have performed the best against Giannis. And it was all these guys that the Nets have brought in. And then you look at them dropping and doing things like that, bringing guys that can bother dudes around screens. And I kind of look at that series almost as the one that they're really learning from and, and building for in a lot of ways. Yes, they definitely view... Milwaukee, I think, if you look at it from the lens of their offseason moves as we have to build this roster geared towards that. And even maybe the Bembry signing, the Carter, whatever, was just a way to let's get more athletic on the perimeter. You know, they got Drew and and even Pat Connaughton and DiVincenzo and now Grayson Allen flying around the perimeter, making rotations. 
all four of those guys are just athletes on the perimeter and play really well in defensive space. So you could even look at their guard signings that way, as well as the more obvious, let's get bigger, let's get physical, we're getting killed on the glass. Um, so I think that's a good point. It definitely could be the second series. And it's not just that they dropped against Milwaukee, obviously. It's that they want to be able to do it better. Yeah. Uh, and they've been doing it better so far this year. And, you know, there are moments that look like last year's Nets where guys aren't communicating, simple slip cuts to the basket are beating them. But the last couple of games in drop, the defense communication has been better, which always helps with that sort of coverage. I mean, with all coverages, obviously. And the drop has looked better. So if we get a steady rate of improvement and focus on that end with a variety of coverages, as we've been seeing, you know, in the short term recently, then you have to be happy with the defense so far this year. The one like bit of pause I'll have with it and like what I'm watching for, because I mean, they're, they're performing, I think at a top 10 rate, uh, they're allowing a effective field goal percentage that ranks within the top four. Um, a, like their expected field goal percentage or effective field goal percentage, I think is 19th in the league right now. So basically opponents are not shooting as well as you'd expect them to on the shots that they're getting. So I'm, I'm watching it for their, that reason, but I'm also watching it for the simple fact that like most of the time you see teams that are running drop, it's because they have a guy, let's say like, I mean, Rudy Gobert is like the typical right. one. So we'll pick that. It's because they're funneling opponents toward this like all world shot blocker um the nets don't have that right now and i don't i mean it's going to really depend on like what happens with nicholas claxton um how quickly he can get acclimated to a playing and b using you know being deployed in this new scheme um and then b it'll depend upon like what the efficiency and and how that wanes on the guards trying to get around screens and as teams get more and more i guess um detailed and nuanced with the way they're screening as the season progresses how that fares for the nets how how they do against slips which we saw a lot against miami bam Adebayo got a lot of free lanes to the basket because he's slipping out of screens what does it look like when you have a team that's re-screening that's using these flat screens in transition um to get their ball handlers free like there are ways that these teams can be very creative and that's kind of how the pick and roll game has progressed at this point that i'm curious to see what the Nets' fallback option is, and and how much it's going to stress their bigs. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I you know right now, obviously it's too early to think about this, but you worry about a team like Miami in the playoffs that you know they were getting open slip cuts. They're also. a bad matchup. There, I thought it was going to be defensively, but offensively, I was like, oh boy, this is no, no. It's I can't talk about that yet. They were getting like slip cuts <laughs> off like primary actions, like one screen and slip. Like yep. we, they didn't even go deep into the bag of tricks, so. You know, we got a lot of time before that manifests, but early returns. Not it was great. tough. It was it tough. was tough, and they were missing it. Like the first half, the Nets' defense was bad. That I think the Miami game is is largely, or it's responsible in a big way for that gap between you know actual EFG yeah. or nineteenth rank in that category. Um, so yeah, as it pertains to Claxton and drop, I don't have a, a ton of hope for him in that regard. Mm. Um, at least in the short term, just because a lot of the, you know, amazing plays at the rim and, and, you know, deflections and strip blocks and whatever have come where he's like flying in off of his guy in the corner last year, or the wing, and he's like tracking the ball and guys don't even see him. 
But in the few possessions I've seen of him in drop, and again, small sample size, maybe I just caught, you know, two out of three poor ones. Yes. This whole podcast should be called small sample size. Like I've thrown out like 19 stats and they're going to be irrelevant in like two games. (laughs) It should. That's why I can't write anything. It sucks. It sucks. They play a game the next day and they go from 18th to seventh. Yeah. It sucks. Um, But yeah, no, Claxton just hasn't, he, he doesn't look great in drop for a variety of reasons, whether it's hand placement and he's reaching in or or stance or whatever, and, or he's not big enough. Um, And again, it's only going to be harder for him coming back where he hasn't had, it sounds like a great camp because of this illness and a great acclimation period in the early part of the year. Um, So we'll see. They don't right now, the Nets don't have a base defense, which is interesting after we're the probably switchiest team of all time besides, you know, the bubble rockets last year. Um, So yeah, it's interesting to see what their identity is. All of those cliches Steve Nash talks about, we're finding our identity, this and that. They are so true for the Nets on this defensive end. We do not know what their identity is yet. He never lies about that stuff. He just beats it into the ground. Like he's not lying no. about the connectivity. It just, it's, I, you hear it every presser. <laughs> just like, all right, I get it. They're not connected yet. I get it. <laughs> um, what's your third, what's your third observation? Um, my th- that Honestly, that was, that was a large part of my third observation. Just noticing it was more focused on attention to detail sort of things. That Miami game really stood out to me on, you know, they're allowing these slip cuts, this and that, but we pretty much touched on it. So I'll give you, I'll give, I'll sub in, I'll have a sixth man uh, observation for you, which is, which was actually the non-hardened, non-KD lines. Um, That one, I think it, I forget which game it was. It might've been the Miami game where they just came out so flat on defense. And like the only reason they weren't getting blown out after the first quarter was because Miami was missing open shots. And I think Steve Nash said, screw it. We're going to go, you know, all the energy defensive grit guys. And I don't care if we can't score a point, like we're just going to play with some heart. And I think they went like Carter, Bembry, Brown, like Aldridge and Mill or something like that. Mil- I but think I know Millsap was in. I think they might have subbed Millsap. in James Johnson at some point too. No, it was Millsap. It was those four. And I forget, yeah, like a smattering of, it was Joe Harris. Cause I think Steve Nash, even then was like, all right, okay, we need some, yeah, yeah, we, need, yeah. we need some, somebody to shoot the ball out there, but it was intriguing, man. And I'm intrigued by Brown and Bembry um, because each of those guys, particularly more so Bembry can attack closeouts off the dribble and each of them, particularly Brown, know where to receive the ball when guys are driving. Um, I think and I hope Carter will improve on offense because for for Nets fans that didn't watch him in Phoenix, I swear, I promise it didn't look like this. I swear I wasn't high on him for no reason. Like I this It's I looking swear. tough so far. I, I hyped this guy up like crazy preseason. So did I. So did I. I was like, you know, if you look at his you know three point numbers over the last what uh he's actually pretty good. And it just wasn't he wasn't ta- he wasn't snaking pick and rolls and taking contested eighteen footers. I don't know where that came from. Um, I don't know. I don't know. He's so, doing too much right now. But yeah, <laughs> doing too much. So hopefully, if he plays like you know the Carter we saw in Phoenix with Brown and Bembry and you know Johnson has shown flashes. I, I hope the athleticism is still at a level where he can like do some cool stuff on offense. That the hard the non hard the no hard and no KD lineups this year could be fun as good as we've expected them to be defensively and with more offensive punch 
than we thought. I mean, putting Aldridge out there with them to save them offensively yeah. is maybe asking a lot of him, but it can work in spurts. And you got a guy like Joe Harris out there, and if and if Carter starts shooting better from three, then I think we may have found something with those lineups that I didn't anticipate originally. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, the Carter thing will be really interesting. It's all like, can he just hit his corner threes? Like, it's really, I, sometimes it's like it's the lowest hanging fruit, but really that's kind of yeah. how I feel with him right now. It's just like he hits the corner threes, and I think we're having a completely different conversation. And he's actually going to be a reasonable contributor. Um, you know, maybe not as high. I, I thought he was going to knock on the door for starting. Um, I might have, uh, we'll see. I'm not going to back tried. down yet. <laughs> they tried. Oh, it's going to take a lot more for me to stop. It's, it's going to take a lot more. It's also going to take a lot for him to get back in that in that stratosphere, <laughs> yeah. I think. I think it's been a tough start. Steve is I up. know. He he must have done well in training camp, and they were like, "All right, it's Phil, whatever. You're getting big starter minutes." And I was like, "Yes!" Like they, they agree with me. They see the vision. And then Carter just they had know. they had there was like a Javon Carter quote after like every single day of training camp that I saw at least, and Bembry, who is my third oh. point. I I got to our third observation. Um, Please, yeah, let's get into Bembry. I don't want to talk about being disappointed by Carter. Either. Yeah, this is making me sad. Um, <laughs> Bembry is a. Uh, I don't know what I think of Embry. I feel the same way that I felt about him when I, I kind of like, I mean, when he got signed basically is that he's just going to be this like ball of chaos that weirdly is like super essential right now. Cause he's like the only guy that can get downhill. Now what happens when he gets downhill? Sometimes it's like a a flying hook that like (laughs) hits glass (laughs) and nothing else. And then sometimes it's like an unbelievable reverse. And it's like, it's weird to say this. I don't even know where I'm going with this point, but it it kind of it's like the only like glimpse of Kyrie Irving that we get where it's like I'm like oh exciting finishes at the rim like this is kind of nice. <laughs> Please, I went on I went on uh, a podcast with Jackson Lloyd. Shout out to his podcast NBA Action with Jackson. Great rhyme. But um, I said you know the Kyrie and first of all no Jeff Green they're missing chaos. They're missing yeah. like that. There's such a great jump shooting team, but the reason they were unstoppable last year is because they had explosions towards the rim from those two guys. And I tweeted this yesterday. Sometimes with these jump shot heavy teams, whatever, or or stagnant East-West teams as the Nets have been so far, you need a guy that just does random crazy shit out there. Yeah. And Bembry does that. I mean, did you see the uh, the Russell Westbrook jumper off the side of the backboard when the Houston Rockets announcer goes, "Oh, oh my God. Yeah. That's what sometimes happens with Bembry. But the other half of the time, he makes he's not as he's not one of those drivers where he makes those, oh my God, what was that plays where he doesn't have his head up and he's out of control. Yeah. It comes from a place of just being ambitious. But he's not a guy that when he goes to the rim and he puts his head down, it's like, all right, he's taking some crazy shot. You know it. Because sometimes, and we've seen it enough from him where he can be trusted, where if a guy flashes, you know, is he in a dunker spot or Bembry draws two, he makes the dump off pass or he makes the kick to the corner. So he's not just like some guy that's, you know, out of control, trying to do the most all the time. Um, he, he has some neat, he has some feel in his drives for how chaotic he is. And I like that you brought up the Kyrie Irving flash. He just brings some amount of force. And I think earlier when I said, hey, I like that Millsap is attacking these closeouts. Yeah. That's 
that's falls in the same sort of realm of, of rim pressure. Yeah. And like you look at him versus Johnson, like I just want him on the floor over Johnson. Cause I, I just, a, I think he's more forceful when he attacks the basket, which is weird. Cause Johnson is like a freight train going downhill. Yeah. But I mean, in a lot of ways, like, you know, Bembry is going to throw, like I've liked some of his finishes high off glass. Um, he's just, he's got a little extra. And it that stuff's yeah. like really important. Like the bench goes crazy. It seems like every time he hits one of those crazy layups. So I think part of that is just it's a highlight finish. And like honestly, so far, like it. I mean, this sounds like sounds ridiculous, but that shit matters. Like you need highlights. Oh, yeah. You need stuff. And like they have just not had that many, honestly, okay. so far. I just looked up his uh, you know per basketball reference what he's shooting at the rim. Small sample size alert. Whatever. He's eight of 12, which is hilarious because they're not, I don't think that he's had one. He's maybe had one easy finish down there. No. Yeah. Which yeah, is, he might go, which is he, a problem with the nets right now. <laughs> that, that is a big problem with it. All of my problems with their offense, just go back to spacing. lack of rim pressure yep. and spacing, yep. which ultimately affect. Yeah. They're not getting easy shots at the rim and sure. Fembry might go O for his next five at the rim, but he, you know, is finishing well and he's finishing you know, through traffic and he's bringing that energy. He's just bringing that grit, this chaos, this Tasmanian devil type of character on the court that, as you said, ignites the bench and just ignites offense into them. And I think sometimes the team can take on the personality of the way they play when there's a lot of stagnation in East West offense. And we saw it last year too, that can lead to just overall stagnation. I don't know how to characterize it. Just, yeah, just, a sense of moping just a sense of there's not a lot of life and when you have a guy doing all this dynamic stuff even if it doesn't always end well everybody just their spirits just get lifted and there's more of a sense of purpose and right now just because of his role the guys who guard him uh his greater ball handling ability than james johnson he's more capable of injecting that life because johnson is really only doing that when he's a role man or in the one in 10 chance that a guy closes out way too hard on James Johnson. Yep. Where you see some of those poster dunks from his past, but Bembry's more reliable as an energy, as that sort of guy right now. I agree with that. His layups have kind of, they haven't replaced Brown's floaters, but I do feel like Brown's floaters are a lot harder to get to. And, and this like, because again, it's like the spacing is just tough. There's like always two to three guys planted in the paint. But he's like he a dude that can hit crazy shots over no matter who's there is just valuable. It's the same thing with Kyrie. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Especially in the bench units that he's playing with. I mean, a lot of times we, I think, in the NBA and the analysis community, whatever we are, get you know we love to look at the big sample sizes and look at all the stats and create profiles of a guy. But if you're out there for five minutes and you're out there for what fifteen offensive possessions if that, maybe like 12, if you hit two of those shots, that's a huge swing point in a game where you need to survive the bench minutes. You know, his value is not categorized by the long-term stats. And if he's willing to go to the rim and be adventurous, if he makes a good play or two, that's all you need to swing a game. And I think so far he's done that, you know, above and beyond, to be honest. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how much they play him. Also, he's like a total pest on the other end, like a, a yeah. deflections magnet. I don't remember the last time the Nets had a guy like that. He's just, he's like picking off inbound passes and just doing like yeah. stuff you don't see the Nets do. 
he's just the net. Yeah. The Nets don't have a lot of rim protection, this and that. So they need to create just sort of disruption. It's in the chaos again. It's chaos, man. They just have a guy that does a lot of crazy stuff out there, which they have not had over the last year and a half. I mean, the closest they've had is Bruce Brown, but even his sort of chaotic moments are more classically chaotic. Like, Oh, he set a hard screen or, Oh, he's getting into this guy in the ball. Bembry like is playing a different sport sometimes in a good way. It'd probably be Rhodey is the last game that they have. And like, that's not, I don't, that's not always a good thing with Rhodey. Yeah, Rhodey's was like, what is like, it was more like, what does this guy know what he's doing? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Bembry's like, oh man, I, I can't believe he has the balls to try it. But yeah. he clearly intentionally did that. Whereas Rhodey would like fall backwards into crazy right. stuff. Yeah. I dude, Rhodey, Rhodey and Musa just at the same time was like such a, just a, just such a time. What a period, and and what a, that was such a weird season that that year before KD played. Because <laughs> you knew what, because you knew you were just waiting, you know. Yeah, and the Rody. team was just weird too. It was like Theo oh, Pinson and and Musa and Rody, and you're just like, what is? And then Chioza at the very end, like oh, it's just an interesting year. I mean, the Chioza point was like the most fun part of that season. I felt like whoa, 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 David Nwaba disrespect See, but it just podcast. every time i say nwaba it just gets sad i think of the spurs game and like that's god. unfortunately what i think of you can ask my dad we were watching that game at home and like my mom was getting back from work i think it was like on my winter break so i was home and uh i just nwaba went down and my dad knew how much i just loved watching oh him yeah play. and my mom gets home and i'm just like this on the couch or whatever and my my mom tries to tell me something about what I need to do, and I'm just not hearing it. My right. dad's like, "Hey, just give him a minute." D- David Nwaba just got hurt. Yeah, and the gravity of the situation was understood. He's, I mean, he was like the one guy that like evoked consistent joy. Dinwiddie was really fun at that that year as well. Uh, but in like the consistent, you kind of know what you you were getting from yeah. Dinwiddie thing. But it was like you know, Kyrie went down, Karis went down. It's like, all right. What what do we have here? Joe Harris second option time like Theo Pinson, Musa oh, bench, God. and it's and like he, I can, yeah. I can go on and on about these random Nets teams. But uh, first up, how much time do I have you for? I didn't even ask you this. What I bro, you know I don't got nothing to do. I just bother than watch basketball. All right, <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, then then we'll get into uh, we'll get into our, our things we're watching for. I guess unless you want to keep dishing about this team, I can go on for about the 2019, 2020 Nets forever. I, I believe me, I, I those teams are more fun to talk about than the good teams. The one last thing I'll say is that okay, well, first Dinwiddie, I was always on the on the plan on the on the agenda of this guy's an all-star. You don't you don't have to sit through the lineups when he's out there with Nuaba and Pinson and Musa and his numbers are just look way worse than they should because yeah. they're like, Hey, Dinwiddie, you gotta take like a crazy step back three with two seconds left on the shot clock. Uh that's why when he puts up these huge stat lines, you know, in Washington, I'm not surprised. He was yeah. so good here. Um, and yeah, no, that's that's an error that I'll remember remember fondly. It's one of those things where it's like you're in the moment and you just can't wait for KD to return and the team to be good. And then you get out of it and you're like, damn, I kind of miss high school. I would like to see those guys again. Right. You know, I, I, wonder, I wonder how Moose is doing. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I gotta look through the rest of that roster, but it like Wilson you know, Chandler, the jumper, the ch- Wilson Chandler. Honestly, like I remember there was like a period where I was a big Wilson Chandler guy. I was really feeling. I, mem- I don't even remember what it was. Like it was his defensive intensity. I got, I gotta remember. Like my archives of that year are so fun. I'm like 
Because I know in my head when I'm writing those articles, I'm like, oh, man, like this is just like feel like I'm just sort of waiting for the inevitable. But like I'm also so high energy in my writing because it's just it's a weird team. Like, I don't know, for some reason, like creating content about role players is oh way more fun, way more fun because you like they have such pronounced positives and negatives. Like, how many times can I write that Kevin Durant is like a really good jump shooter? Like, I, I can only do it so much. <laughs> No, it's sad. That's why I loved, I loved writing the Herb Jones article I just wrote because he's just like this weird, like, yeah. he's just weird and, and funky. And those guys are the, are the most fun to write about. Um, I, I do feel bad though for Katie, because I mean, maybe we'll, maybe this is in our what to watch for section, but oh my God, KD is. Let's start is, there. Yes. Start there with this section. He's, uh, he's on. This is the best he's ever been. I, I want to, I think he is. I think so. I don't know though. I think it feels a little we can walk on eggshells because he's yeah. had the career he's had, but I'll say it. He he's the best he's ever been. And I'm not saying that lightly, but if you watch, you know, every Nets second this year as we have, this guy's unbelievable. This guy it it feels wrong to say he's anything other than the best player in the world. And I don't say that to disrespect Giannis, Steph, Jokic, you know, all the other yeah. A1 guys, but is there anything he hasn't done, not just well so far this year, but at a MVP level? I, well, first off, like he, the shooting just feels like I, every time he gets, I mean, like the, I keep coming back to this Pistons game. It was weird when I was clipping that game. I was like, I don't feel like I really had that much from this game yet. I've just referenced it like 30 times on this, on this podcast. <laughs> so maybe I have, uh, but I thought like they played pretty good defense. Sadiq Bey had yeah. a couple of really good reps against him. And it just didn't matter. Like it doesn't matter with Durant normally, but this year, just more than ever, more than last year. I mean, I guess more than than certainly the years in OKC, Golden State's kind of hard to figure out just because there was so much talent on the floor. But like this year with the spacing and he's having like two guys draped on him at many points, it just doesn't matter. He's shooting like I, I what's he shooting from mid range right now? It's it's like 70 percent right now. All of them, all of them. Just it's all insane. Of them. That's what he's shooting. Just every single one. Yeah. He's making feels like. I wonder if the, I mean, it's funny because going into the year, you would think, oh well, the only way you could, Katie ever looked bothered was when guys would get into him and you know because of his frame they could kind of push him around a little bit and maybe he takes some off balance shots. And you'd think going into this year with the rule changes or the way the refs are calling the game, like, oh, that could maybe affect him because guys are are being allowed to exert even more of their force defensively. Shout out Bruce Brown. Yeah. Um, but this year, it matters even less. It's like guys know what they're getting from KD. It's the big right to left crossover, like into the hang dribble, and he either hesitates or just shoots it. And Jeremy Grant had a few possessions from that Pistons game where it's like, He's right on KD's left hand. As soon as KD goes to gather the ball, he's in his space. And it just doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. It's he, ridiculous. He'll face up and just turn and there's no move. And he just stands there and just waits. And then at a certain point, he just pops it. And he's getting like, there's no, like he, there's nothing he has to do. It's like, and I, I don't understand it. I'm like, what is so different from previous years? But I think honestly, it's like, I, I don't know. Somebody else made this point on on Twitter, and I, 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 oh, I wonder who it was. Damn. Um, but basically, like he had this two years off, and it's like all he was able to do was shoot. 
It was kind of the... I made that point. Was that, that you? That's that a was... great damn point. It was the same thing with Embiid. Remember when Embiid got hurt early on in his career? And yeah. it's like all he worked on was these little, you know, uh, three-point... Definitely the three a lot. You saw him working on that. You saw him do the little, uh, you know, face-up, whatever he's got. You know, the whole, like, Embiid bag. Yeah. Um, but all those things he worked on while he was hurt. I feel like we had the same thing with KD. Yeah. Clay's going to shoot 85% from three this year. That would be uh, great. I do it. Oh my God. Please give me, please give us healthy Clay Thompson. Please. That's all I ask. I, mean, I, even as a non Nets fan, whatever, like I don't, I think the most amount of money I would ever pay to go to a basketball game would be Clay's return just so I can be there when he hits the first three at, uh, you know, in a home game. Right. But yeah, no, that, it, that's what it really feels like with KD. He's just another level of jump shooter. And it feels and it goes back to last year, too. So this isn't I don't think this is a small sample size sort of thing. Um, it just feel it almost feels unfair because I watch him now and I'm like, why is he not the greatest player of all time? Like, yeah. Why? <laughs> why did he never average 45 points? Why didn't why didn't teams just give him the ball and he shoots 85 times a game? Like, I, I still don't understand it. Um, but, yeah, it's like that. Um, <laughs> it's like that Bill Murray. uh soliloquy and meatballs i don't know if you've ever seen it where he's yelling at his team it's on it's a skit on some mac miller album yeah. on faces which they just put on spotify and they're playing just such an overpowered team and he's just screaming it just doesn't matter even if god came down to our side of the field and blessed us it just doesn't matter it just doesn't matter and that's what it feels like with when you're guarding kd it just does not matter what you do and i don't think it's ever been more true of any offensive player in history. And I'm not saying he's the greatest one ever, but even with, you know, MJ, LeBron, Steph, Jan, whatever, there's, there's things, there's counters. Yeah. KD is the most, just, just hope he misses player in history. He has to be. Yeah, Maybe you, Kareem's you hope that he wears, like gets tired. Literally. I mean, that's what it was against yeah. the Bucks. And yeah. that was, they, they was like, all right, we're going to run the offense through Kevin Durant or Mike James. So, so I guess, I guess we know what we're going to do. By the way, Mike James, we, we got to get Mike James back on this team. I, I, we got to yeah. figure out a way. I think that's another guy. They could use a little craziness from Mike James. I they swear. could use a little craziness and they could use another great poster on Twitter. Yeah. They need another guy who's really online. Right. No KD, no Wilson Chandler, by the way, underrated tweeter. Yep. They need some more guys who are just like really online to compliment KD. I, uh, <laughs> I can't fault you there. Millsap's online. He's not that's easy. True. He's, he's, he's a more modest tweeter though. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, Durant, the other thing with Durant, like I, I think he's been really good defensively, um, yeah. like just good, really solid cares this year, making second efforts. There's a play probably from the Pistons game again, where I think he closed out to Jeremy Grant. It was a flyby. He kind of overran it and then he recovered back in and like contested it from behind um, and, and forced Jeremy into like a long two, which he's kind of predicated to take anyways, but, uh, but, but still like he made the shot tough. So, um, those plays are standing up the plays where he's, he started to do this quite a bit is he'll drive and then he'll kind of hook under the basket and like hook this pass out to the top of the key. And it's like, Oh my God, rim pressure, like actually getting all the way to the basket. And it's yeah. weird. He's the guy kind of doing that the most. Which in the past, I think, okay, the jump shooting, yes, but that is, if we're being honest, probably the biggest part of KD's game that's standing out this year, just because that was always the issue or the one thing you can knock him for in OKC. And then he wasn't, he didn't really have to be that guy in Golden State. 
And, you know, if you looked at the on-off numbers with Steph, Katie, and Golden State, they'd kind of reflect that Katie wasn't the best playmaker. But this year, you're seeing that a ton where he drives, and then he doesn't just hit, you know, the corner, as you said. He sees the guy rotating down and then makes the extra pass himself to the wing. Uh, he's had a few of those, you know, wraparound baseline passes. Um, he's just, especially in those early games where Harden was, you know, struggling more, just doing just an all-world offensive force, not only the scoring um, where he's been the best isolation player by far this year so far in the NBA, but also the only guy getting downhill, drawing the defense, and creating those possessions. Um, he'd be averaging close to like eight, nine assists if Blake Griffin was shooting, you know, 33% from three. <laughs> That's the perfect lead-in. Uh, I, I don't think I could have said it better myself with the rant, uh, but the perfect lead-in to my thing I'm watching for Great Blake Griffin's rotation spot. I'm a, it's looking funny in the light. I'll tell you that. Look, <laughs> he doesn't listen to this, right? No, I don't think. So. I, okay. <laughs> I like. I get it. For no, I hope not. I don't think any of these guys care about what I say. <laughs> no, but let, let's really hope not right now. Yeah. Um. I I just I part of me just I mean maybe it's just me wanting to see Millsap a little bit more. Um. Because I, I don't mind LaMarcus coming off the bench, though I could see that being um, a solid option if he's starting. But I, I do yeah. kind of like him playing with the with his own unit and getting his own touches. That seems to keep him really happy. Um, and I think why we've seen so much productivity is that the offense just sort of gets handed to him for two, three-minute spans. I just, at a certain point, Blake has to do... Something I've liked the defensive intensity. I'll start with the positive. The defensive intensity is picked up because at first, like the first couple games, he just looked out of it. He looked disengaged, and that's picked up. He's giving second, third efforts on contests. The offense remains a work in progress. He's one of the many guys that's suffering from the spacing issues when he's you know cutting uh, along the baseline. He's met with two guys at the rim a lot. Um, or, or he's just not even getting enough elevation to really like get there. But like the three point shooting again, just, it kind of boils down to that. Like, you, you know, you can't be two for 17 from three as a starter. You just can't. <laughs> no, you, you can't. And you can't hesitate. It's a, it's a tough thing because you can't hesitate. If your role is to space the floor and take the threes when they're open to you, you have to shoot until they take you off the court. Like you have to, um, you know, I'm taking Kobe's side in the Kobe versus Darren Williams. Would you rather go 0 for 30 or 0 for 9? You have to have the 0 for 30 mindset right. um, if you're in that role. And not only has he not been making the shots, but he hasn't had that. Like, there's too many times where he passes up an open three or, or takes a dribble first, um, which you're saying, you know, hey, if you're 2 of 17, maybe that's better, but you can't stall the offense that way. Um, the defensive intensity has gotten better, thank goodness. Um, you know, he's taken the charges that we know he takes again, the rotations have been better. He's giving more effort. Uh, so that, that is keeping him afloat for now in the rotation. Um, the take that I had coming in the, into this year that immediately got, you know, exploded was I said, I think in a spaces, um, hosted by the boys from the Brooklyn buzz was that with no Kyrie, Maybe Blake can do something with the bench units because maybe he'll have another off season of rehab. He he's looks even better athletically 
And he can do some of that Detroit stuff where it's like, damn, this is a guy that can, yeah, kind of shoot, but also like play make and read the floor really well and operate as this high post hub. And, you know, maybe that. Like do inverted ball screens and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just some of that sort of general, just, you know, variety of the offense and playmaking and, oh boy, there's been none of that. And like from game one, it looks like there's no reason to even try it. So that's been disappointing too. Yeah. And I almost wonder, like, he's very locked in on being like a glue guy, a role guy. And it's like, at some point, like I, here and there, I do want you to try something a little bit crazy because nobody else is doing it. Now I, 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 from game one, I'm, I'm not sure. What, what did he do in game one? Now I'm curious. I just, the Bucks game was just, I remember looking at the tape from that game and being like, oh my gosh, is he even moving? Like, yeah. or any, like what is going on? Offense and defense. Um, and to his, you know, to be fair to him, the, th- the stuff that I talked about, the, the high post hub, inverted, inverted ball screens, whatever, they didn't give him a chance to do any of that. Yeah. So a mix of that, but also like it, it didn't really look like he had any interest in doing that. You know, yeah. at some point, at some point, I agree with you. I want you, I want him to be like, guys, like I, I know it's not in the game plan, whatever, but like I'm Blake Griffin. You guys respect me. You know, I'm clearly have a high profile on this team. Give me the ball. I'm going to try something. And we, we haven't seen any of that so far this year. And right. I thought that could be a counter to, hey, they're missing a lot of guys, including Kyrie. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Just And even, like, I don't think they use him as a roller a ton, which, like, no. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like, he's not really pressuring the rim at all. But, you know, like, maybe you get – one of those like short roll reads where he's he's reading that let's say sharing the floor with nicholas claxton yeah. you know he's he's feeding him there because i feel pretty good about him doing that uh yeah maybe that better than anybody on the roster I mean, he's a really good here's what i guess my big thing right now is like he's a really really good passer and we just haven't seen it so far this year right it's like bizarre it's weird i mean maybe some of it is because he's parked on the perimeter and then guys don't even close out to him so yeah. he doesn't have the opportunity but we also just haven't seen him, yeah, get the ball and just try to get downhill, try to force something, try to make help defense look at you even so you can make a play. But, yeah, that maybe maybe they start to utilize him as a roller, especially if they know teams are trapping up top. Yeah. That's the one thing I know he can still do. Um, you know, he, he's done it. I mean, even in L.A., he was a master at those short roll passes to DeAndre Jordan. And yep. he only got better at that in Detroit. Uh, maybe they're just worried about the lack of explosion and he can't finish around the rim anymore, yeah. but I'd at least like to see them try it, try to get him moving in space, try to create some advantage situations for him because he is, you know, probably their third, second or third, fourth best passer on the roster. It just doesn't make sense right now. I think like his optimization to use him as a stretch big and like exclusively as a stretch big, cause he's just not stretching the floor. And even if he starts making threes, like defenses aren't going to care. They're just not no. like, they're not going to like, it's, it's a, he's got a weird mechanical shot that is just, I don't know, even, you know, in the Milwaukee series, like he was given a lot of looks and last year he had a really good shooting year and it we'll see if that translates. I never, I mean, throughout last year, I just kind of was waiting for the regression to hit and it just never hit. And I think he's better than what he's showing right now. But, yeah. you know, I it's at a certain point, it's like, maybe it would be better if his role changed. He's coming off the bench and he's allowed to do more weird things. You know, he's allowed to play with somebody like Bruce Brown and do an inverted ball screen or, you know, whatever, get get in the short role a little bit. 
um, and, and play yeah. with whoever. I don't, I don't know. Cause again, the bench you're allowed to feel, I feel like you're allowed to play a little more free in a way. You don't have to be somebody that comes in and explicitly does certain things. Well, like you have to be as a starter bench, you're allowed to be a little more funky. It's, it's a weird period of the game. Yeah. And it feels like me, this is unfair to him, but it feels like I don't have hopes of him excelling in that role right now. I don't either. <laughs> but I don't have enough evidence to the contrary. You know what I mean? I don't have examples of him failing to do that. So I, while I, I'm not super optimistic about that, I'm not going to say, yeah, I don't want to see that because I need, you know, especially in the early season, low stakes, whatever experimentation, I, I would like to see him fail at that before I say, no, don't let him do that. Because right now, yeah, what you said, the stretch big thing doesn't work. And even the percentages from last year, which weren't too bad, it, it didn't really work then. You know, he was just happy to make, happening to make more of his shots. And that looks more and more like an outlier as it goes on. What do you think? Do you think Millsap would make sense in the starting lineup? Next to regular Blake? starting lineup, no, so, next, no Blake. So let's say you swap, you interchange Blake and a uh, Millsap. Oh, so with with Joe Harris and who are they start? Are they starting Brown? Bruce Brown, Kevin Durant, James Harden, James Harden, Joe Harris. Yeah, I would. I mean, I think Millsap has the most lineup versatility out of all the big guys. I mean, this is another guy where I'm really like. I, I, I'm like, yes, play Millsap more. I think he's really good. I think he's doing even more than what he's shown. And I think he's had really good stretches. I think he's incredibly smart. And I think he knows how to play the chameleon role, assess what his team needs and fill that. Um, yeah, I see no reason why it wouldn't work. I think he'd be better than Blake at the all switching stuff, which, you know, we talked about the drop, but with the all starting lineup, they're doing more of that. They're still, you know, pretty much switching most actions. Yeah. Um, I think I don't see him as a downgrade from Blake on defense. Um, he's a very smart communicator. And right now I trust his shot more. And in the film that I've seen, defenses respect his shot more. Maybe it's because it looks cleaner and maybe everybody on an NBA court is just like, a ball don't stop subscriber and just subscribes to the aesthetics. I'm like, Oh, this guy looks like he can shoot, you know, how yeah. we do Mark, but they close out on him and he looks, I never thought I would say this about Paul Millsap versus Blake Griffin, but he looks more spry attacking those closeouts and just doing that's That's, that's a crazy sentence right there, especially to like 16 year old me, but he's just better going downhill right now. And he injects more of that, chaos as we've come to term it so i would like to see Millsap in the starting lineup for no other reason than right now he's playing better basketball than blake griffin and it's it's not even like oh i think he fits better with this this and this or i think he compliments this guy better right now i think Millsap is just playing better so therefore i would like to see him in the starting lineup and i have no sort of fit worries that i wouldn't have with blake me even in like his peak Versus Blake's peak, he was more of like a role playing yeah. skill set, you know. So in that way, like he's accustomed to filling gaps in a way that Blake was really good last year. But I think a large part of that was he just made his threes, and like and and in that way, he was able to create off that. And then from there, it's like with playing with you know somebody like Jeff Green or whoever whoever they have on the floor, he's he has a little more free room to uh, explode for those dunks. That famous dunk yeah. against uh, 
where he dunked, I guess, over Giannis in the in the playoffs. That oh, one yeah. is just it's they were five out. Like really that was yeah, kind of what happened. Five out. And guys did close out more to him last year because yeah. he was taking shots. Like again, he wasn't really the best floor spacer in the playoffs. Guys were, you know, kind of ignoring him, but there were still a few possessions where it's like, oh, that was a convincing pump fake. And now he's driving in the lane and you know, finishing or dunking. Yeah. There's none of that this year. What's your second observation? We're gonna hit like dunker spot <laughs> uh length of this podcast here. <laughs> um shout out dunker spot um my second observation uh would be that i mean they need I, we touched on it a little bit but i really i'm still not giving up on javon carter mm. I, I want i just really think the guy that we saw in phoenix when you know all those niche articles were being written like hey javon carter's been pretty good and he's doing good with this bench unit and this and that i think there's a there's room that sort of player would really help this team and you know despite the fact that he's looked and played like he's 34 since he was at West Virginia <laughs> he's still pretty young and I you know not young where he's gonna become like oh a, an all-star potential this and that but to the point where I just think his best years are, are ahead of him he's he's still on the upward you know curve uh, and again we touched on it we haven't seen that yet but a guy that's a nice secondary playmaker. The film I've seen, he's not a great passer when he's pounding the ball for a long time and he has to make the reads, but like when the ball gets swung to him or even it's a second side action or he's attacking a closeout, he makes nice reads uh, based on what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And over the past two years, uh, which is including obviously a lot of time with no fans and buildings, which I think we can all sort of start to agree that really, really mattered yep. uh, across the NBA. Yep. Uh, he shot 39.5% from three over the last two years. Um, a lot of that is obviously standstill, catch and shoot, but I don't care about the off the dribble threes or, or the movement threes. You know, all that, I think that's all the Nets need right now. So I'm curious to see if his early season play, what happens with him in the rotation going forward. Uh, he's been very, very good on defense as expected, which has helped the Nets, as you've said, with their guard dominant defense if that makes yeah. sense so i'm just curious to see what the coaching staff thinks of him this far if they think his his offense will turn around if they value the defense he's provided to this point as enough of a reason to keep him in the rotation um so yeah that that, that is my second point javon card what have you thought of his defense it, there's there's been some moments that i'm like oh i thought you would have made that rotation or like a couple mistakes but on the whole, I'll say, okay, I'll say his team defense is not quite at the level that, you know, you think like, oh, this guy's a great all-world perfect team defender. But I've personally been pretty impressed with the on-ball stuff, the getting over screens, harassing guys. Um, he's lived up to that reputation for me. I think he's like a step below what you might think like, you know, Patrick Beverly type. Yeah. Like, especially Pete Patrick Beverly, whatever, um, where he's like, oh, man, if this guy got enough minutes, he'd be in conversations for, like, all defensive teams. Like the Gary Payton the second argument? Yeah, no. No, he's not Gary Payton the second. Don't don't get me started on GP2. Um, A big, big – this is a very pro uh, GP2 podcast. Oh, my God, yes. I'd love him on any team, but especially the Mets. But, uh, no, he's not quite GP2. But he is overall a good – great on ball defender 
Um, and it helped, it helped the Nets in that Philly game a ton. Yeah. I think that was, that was his shining moment of the year so far. He really got over screens and just made the Embiid pick and pop and attack closeout offense a lot harder for Philly. I, I can't I can't disagree with you there. Um, I'm I'm gonna move on. A thing I'm watching for is set progression. Um, what I mean by that is like the Nets last year they started out as this team. They read a lot of pick and roll, which was something they ran throughout the year, especially uh, Harden as, as when Harden came into the fold. That's something they ran a lot. But they started out as a team. They were running a bunch of pistol. Then from there they started experimenting with split cuts. Then we saw that scissor set, which is yeah. really just more of a split cut but different area right. of the floor so i'm really curious to see like what their set progression is because so far like i don't know if i've loved the set pro- like i just i don't know the chicago action is fine i think you and i have talked about this every team in the league is running it i don't really like the way they're using it like they'll run joe harris off it and it's like okay if you have a, a defender so he's coming i'll explain it real quick uh, I've done this a bunch of times on this podcast, but I'll explain it again. Joe Harris comes off a pin down screen, comes off a handoff. And then at that point, the ideal role is that he's going to take that one dribble inside hand dribble and pull up for a one dribble three pointer, which is something he's added to his arsenal in the last two, three years. Problem is, is teams know it's coming. So they bring the defender that's guarding the opposite wing, or even in the game against the Bucks, they just had James Harden's defender just straight up help down and shade off yeah. Harden that yeah. way um, because Harden is not a threat in the half court. They'll use this additional guy to come over and just stunt or, or, or just, you know, it doesn't even have to be just pinch in a little bit just to make Joe think twice. And then it turns into this situation where he's driving downhill, which is like a whole different issue in itself. But I'm like, I want to see even just for something like Chicago, I want to see that set run for Durant. I want to see yeah. guys in different roles there. Um, and, and play with that a little bit. I want to see, instead of James Harden setting the screen uh, for Joe Harris to come off of, what if we had Joe Harris set that screen and the defense panics, switches, all of a sudden you're in a situation where the guy holding the ball, uh, the, the big man at the top of the key, can make that read and kick to Joe in the corner. Like I just want to see them experiment, even with the sets that they're running, a little bit more, and then also just run additional stuff, run more split cuts, do weird stuff, like tap into this a little bit. I agree with both of those points wholeheartedly. I think last year, the, the glimmer I hope I have is last year with the scissor set, that I think was their, you know, most, you know, their, their pet play that they went to the most. Um, we eventually started seeing different personnel occupy the spots. Like it took a few games. It took a while after the Harden trade. But by the end of the year, they had a lot of different guys, you know, up to like Landry Shamit occupying different spots in there or KD with the ball yep. or whatever the case may be. So there lies some hope for like, okay, maybe, you know, they're just establishing this base set, getting their main guys comfortable. And then as the year goes on, we'll see different sorts of guys, different personnel in the Chicago action, which is undoubtedly replaced scissors as like their go-to yep. so far this year. I do agree. I feel like, Scissors actions last year were like really fun. And I didn't see that a ton across the league. Um, Whereas Chicago is, is I think it feels like every team all the time, right? (laughs) It's every play and every game I watch. And like, I don't know how many times I can like provide analysis on this set. It's not, I think to this point, my mom knows what Chicago action is, (laughs) (laughs) which is ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully we start to see different, you know, I think Patty Mills would be good in that action just mm. because really good, 
like in the James Harden role where he hands the ball off. And then if his defender helps on the roll, so the roll defender can pressure Joe, Joe Harris at the top of the key, Patty Mills is great at like shifting up, floating into space, getting ready for a quick catch and shoot three pointer. Um, Katie, as you said. So yeah, I would like to see more creativity in their sets, different types of stuff, as well as different personnel, because I think we've seen when they do, when they run their pet stuff with just different guys in it, teams are less prepared for it. An example of this I've seen is they've started having Joe Harris ghost or flare off mm. ball screens for KD. The whole league knows the playbook on, yeah, Joe Harris sets the screen for Harden and then gets off of it and gets a three-point line. And it still works sometimes. He still gets open looks just because it's a great play. But now when he sets the screen or ghosts it for KD, teams are just less prepared for it and he gets open looks that way. Um, but yeah, the last thing I'll say about that is that it, it puts a little too much, when Joe Harris is the guy coming off of it, it, it places too much responsibility on his shoulders. Like yeah, if he sees anything other than an obvious read or a clear lane to the basket, if he gets to make like multifaceted decisions where the guy on the next wing is helping over or, you know, the pass is two reads away, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. You want to simplify it for Joe Harris. You don't want to force him to control the fate of the possession, if that makes sense. I mean, he just doesn't have any, like, secondary reads a lot of the time, which is, like, fine. Like, it's this Joe Harris. I, I feel like I'm going back to, like, the 2019-2020 Nets again, where I'm like, wait, why am I observing Joe Harris as, like, a secondary ball handler? <laughs> like, why am I sitting here, like, trying to, to analyze this and break this down? So it's, like, it's kind of, I mean, it's it's a tough thing. And, like, yeah, you want him to, to like, develop certain counters. But at a certain point, you know, he's a specialist. Like, he is. He is what he is. Yeah. yeah. Think about how far he's come from 2016. I mean, there's only so much you can ask a guy to add to his right. game. You top lock him and it would be like, oh, possession's done. Nope, the, there's nothing. He has nothing to, to <laughs> no, come back to that. <laughs> and the progress he made from like age 25 to age 20 or whatever, like yeah. the, between the third and like the fourth and seventh seasons of his career was amazing. Like let's, let's, it's, he is what he is at this point, which is yeah. a very good, valuable player, but I, I'm not expecting him to develop counters or, or be a secondary guy, you know, like it, it is what it is. I'm pretty curious though. I will say like on the set progression thing, I think part of it, like the idea of them running so much handoff action is that they just don't really have rollers. Like there was a play where they had, I think they ran double drag for Harden and it was with Patty Mills and LaMarcus and both of them popped and it's just sort of <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> Well, this possession's done. <laughs> that's it's like <laughs> that's so. That's such. I can't explain why that sentence is so fucking funny. <laughs> it's, it's for those of you that don't know. You're supposed to have one roll and one pop. All right, <laughs> like that's the ideal thing. So if you're having two guys go to the same spot, you're just not pressuring a defense at all. There's like no defensive uh, confusion, I guess, in a way. And like a lot of teams, there's like a bunch of different ways that you can switch that set, but. Like, you know, you're kind of making it easy on the defense. The image of like Lamar, like Patty's obviously popping and LaMarcus is like, no, no, I'm going, I'm, I'm heading out to the 18 foot zone. Like, maybe they should just have Patty roll. Like just do weird (laughs) shit. That's like, wait, what's going on? They should. They should. I have God. I would love, I would love for, do you think Patty Mills can dunk? Like, I know that's kind of, that's like, I think he can, it might be a little offensive, but like, I can't imagine him dunking the ball. 
I should probably know this, right? This is probably something I should know from like uh, just seeing this at, at pregame and stuff like that. I don't know. I have no idea. I, he probably can, right? Like, I, yeah, like he's a like he's an NBA athlete, and even for an NBA athlete, he's like really like quick and spurty and stuff. But like he's he has got jet still. I mean, he's ridiculous. He's thirty three or thirty four or something. Like there's, I honestly like the defense with him this year. I've just been like. I did a, a big scouting report on him, and I was kind of like, yeah, I think he can, like, grade out, like, average. Like, he's not going to be a liability. I just think I I screwed that up. Like, I undersold that. I think he's been a legitimate plus. I've loved his point of attack defense. I agree. I think, I mean, it makes sense now. I don't blame you for screwing it up, but it makes sense when you just think about, yeah, like, if you put all the NBA players in an, in an NFL combine, Patty Mills might have the best three-cone drilled in the whole sport. Like, he's just so... He's like a bunny rabbit out there. The way he just like yes, hops, yes, yep. It's ridiculous. So yeah, I think it makes sense why he's good at the point of attack, even though it's to a level that I don't think anybody saw coming. It's also the scheme thing too, because I figured they'd be switching. So I'm like, okay, well, that's where I kind of have some pause with this. And then it's right. like you're not going to want to switch him at the point of attack because then you're just like, let's say you have like Jason Tatum and you bring him in and you're switching, uh, you know, that doesn't really work. Or even I don't know, just like situations where he's put in bad situations and you're in these mismatches, you know, whatever, but now they're, they're dropping. So it's like, he just gets to focus on what he's good at. He is the number one player in the NBA, like relative to skill level, where if you were playing pickup, it's like, I'm not guarding this guy. Like I'm not, I don't want to match up with him. Like I just, I got to chase him all over the floor and he's just like so quick. And then on defense, he's going to be like just reaching in, which he's really good at by the way, and just never giving up on a play. I think he's my vote for like relative to how good they are. And he's a good player. The guy I would least want to play in the NBA. It's between him and LaMarcus right now is their third best player. I, I have yeah. a lot of trouble with it right now. I think, I think I'd lean LaMarcus, but um, I don't know. Patty's really good. Like the, the defensive side of the ball really matters to me. I think, I think I'd lean LaMarcus more, but like, very um, a lot of that is just like they've happened to need and rely on what he brings more. Whereas Patty, you can make an argument that he's been a better player, but it's yeah. not less. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, like it's like the old MVP doesn't mean most valuable yeah. or does yeah, it mean yeah. best thing. So right. Um yeah. what do we we're at what two? I think we've done two things each. Do you have one more thing that you're watching for? I I don't think I have anything that we haven't like focused on yet. I'll I'll say Joe Harris, I guess like Okay. What's what's the next? We've touched on a little bit when he goes down, you know, when he puts his head down, goes to the rim, um, you know, it, it ends up being, yeah, let's say, let's be honest, like if he gets run off the line, it's like he decides then and there, okay, I'm going to drive at the rim and there's no secondary decision making. So I'm curious, like, what is that? Does that last? Does that remain? I want to see him take like the 12 foot jump shot a little bit more. I, I've liked that shot. He did it a bunch in the bubble. And he did it, I think, once last game. And again, the Pistons game, he had a pretty good game. And like, I felt like that shot kind of got him going. It was really early in the game. I don't know. I want him to take that shot a little more. I think what's funny about it is that he, and I think it's a smart use by whoever their player development coach was, like, you know, who's responsible for him when he got to Brooklyn. You mean Kenny? <laughs> the head coach player. Yeah, Kenny. Kenny's uh, getting his flowers right now in Golden State. I, I'm, I'm happy for him. Good. I said I had a, like a, a, a like a tweet that was way over the top at the, the beginning of the year where I was like Kenny to Golden State was the most underrated like offseason move for anybody. And yeah. I fully stand by it. Um, 
it's smart that when he gets into that like 8, 10, 12 foot range, he doesn't have a floater. He like takes like a regular like pull up. Yeah. Jump, which is great use of like maximizing the guy with like a top five best mechanical shot or whatever. You know, he's a great mechanical shot. Um, he had one in the Sixers game where he drove on Tyrese Maxey and like maybe could have gotten all the way to the rim. But was just like, nah, I'm pulling up from like nine feet and Maxi can't bother me because he's, you know, shorter than me. And it, right. and it works. I just think like we're at the point with Joe Harris. He hasn't gotten worse at getting to the rim, but I feel like it was just that thing where 17, 18, 18, 19, he would do it. And it was like, oh, whoa, what? Like, yeah, layout, like and he's going like strong. Whereas this point, it's like defenses know and they're just like, hey, he's not going to pump fake you. He's not going to like go off two feet almost ever he's just gonna go like strong and like kind of lean into you a little bit and finish you know with some force but not really a lot of creativity whereas guys now just expect it so i do think that's a good point with your he can incorporate the mid-range and add some variety to his drives but right now it's a combination of i think just defense is being ready for him and the spacing is worse so yeah a higher percentage of his drives are into multiple defenders, which means a higher percentage of his drives are ending with him having to make a decision that isn't obvious, which yeah. has never been his strength. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I want to. I just I'm watching Joe. I I think we're due we're due some sort of regression, um, and it felt like last game could have been a big pivotal moment for him, just in terms of kind of getting over the hump. Um, and, and I'm just curious to see what he adds next. I feel like we've hit everything here. I don't, I don't know if there's anything else you got on the nets right now. <laughs> there's not. I have a question. Do you no. buy the Joe Harris is like going through it mentally right now as a result of that Buck series? Ooh, uh, like the whole Nick Anderson type, type argument, right? Yeah. Uh, just like what, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think he like the yips or, or whatever shaken confidence or is he just, you know, is, is it just a new role, a new, like, what is it? I mean, he's getting so. I looked at his numbers again. This is this. I think I need to call this like the Matt reads stats with way too small samples podcast and Matt and Lucas uh, complain about spacing podcast. But um, the uh, he, like his looks have been mostly open so far. They haven't been wide open the way they were last year. Which uh, for those of you who don't know, NBA categorizes their shots by distance. Wide open is considered six feet or more. open as four to six feet but he's still like open so you know as your shooting specialist you want him to make both of those looks now granted he's taking less in the wide open way more in the open but he's still getting open shots so in a way I guess I think it's the yips but I don't even know if I feel that way because he's still being like fairly confident in taking the shots and driving to the rim like he hasn't been scared to take it at the rim he's gotten his is shit packed a couple of times, but like he's still doing it. So I, I, in a way I'm like, I can't really overreact in that way. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think there's been some times from three where I want him to be even more aggressive. Like if it's a two on one or whatever on the weak side and he like makes the right basketball play and he passes to Blake or Paul Millsap. I'm like, no, I want you to yeah. shoot contested shot over Blake taking the wide. But that's open. Joe in a nutshell, right? Like it he, is. he's never going to take, it's always like, I feel like I've made the same argument with Joe Harris I actually, I don't know if I even, if this is even accurate, but um, where I'm like, I want him taking 10 threes and yeah. it's just never going to happen. Like, it's, it's not. Just not. 
which is why I think he's so, so good on like the, 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 you know, fully healthy with Kyrie nets where it's like, Oh my God, they have the big three. And then everybody in the world would say, and Joe Harris. Yep. Now it's like, uh, you kind of, and especially with James Harden looking like this, you want Joe to take on a little more responsibility and like average 14, 15 a game, whatever. Yeah. And that's not who he is. He's not going to, he's not going to forego the right basketball play for I'm getting my shot off. Yeah. Has he ever taken a heat check? Like, can you remember Joe Harris making two threes and then like taking a heat check? Remember when he was doing all those sidesteps? That was also, I think that was like the 2019, 2020 season. He yeah. would just like, he bust out. It was like, I guess it was a little like escape dribble. Is that what I'm, the word I'm thinking of here? Yeah. Um, yeah. He'd like start to kind of go downhill a little bit and then like pull back. for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, he was doing those a little bit. He actually had one, but I think it was like at the end of a shot clock situation. So I don't really know if I can count that, but I, I'm like, dude, I need that. I, but I, he's got to yeah. take some, like, I don't even know what it would, what would a heat check even look like from him? Like just from 35 out. <laughs> you got to take a bad shot. You just got to take a, an objectively bad. It's shot. never going to happen. Ever. Never. I remember there was this one play from the 1819 or the 1920 year. And it was like versus new Orleans where he really like came off a standstill sort of pick and roll. And I remember that play stuck in my head. I was like, that's it. He's going to be, he's like, he's going to do it. He's going to be like what I think of like Kevin Herter as now. And obviously that was misguided, but I just, yeah, I do wonder what he would be like with what the real Hoopers would call Kobe mentality. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I bet that's where they have Patty though. Like Patty's gonna do Patty's gonna do audacious stuff. Like he's just he's yeah. gonna come out and hit crazy shots. Um I'll tell you what, I don't know if there's been a more succinct Nets podcast this year. This is this is good. I think we hit on everything. <laughs> yeah, you can the next time you pod, you can just do it in like February or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know. I think we hit on everything. Uh anything else you want to touch on? No, don't ask me that, please. Cool. All right, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll get this going. I need to edit an article, so um, where can we all find you? What, what, what do you got coming out? Well, as I said, I, I think I said well, while we were recording, but I'm, I've been looking at a lot of Cam Reddish, most fake traded player in NBA history. So that should be on Roll Call Sports Network coming out. And by the time this podcast is out, please pray for me that I write this tonight. But yeah. with the Nets debuting their uh, city edition or uh, whatever it's called, you know, court jersey. Classic theme. city edition uh, throwback. I, there's so many goddamn <laughs> titles that they've got here. Something that honors the New Jersey Nets as they've continued to do over the last year with the, you know, all tie-dye blue jerseys. I'm going to write something short tonight on Nets Daily about, like, damn, they're really doing it. They're, like, yeah. embracing the fact that they were once the New Jersey Nets, and that is cool. And I don't think we should uh, underrate the importance of that. So, dear God, pray for me. That will be out by the time you guys are all listening to this. Um, it'll be my debut article for Nets Daily. I know, but I'm pumped. You can still find me on <laughs> Nets Republic. You know, I'm writing for a lot of, I got a lot of bylines now, I guess. So yeah, Twitter, Lucas underscore Kaplan. Uh, but that's that's where you can find me. So shout yeah, out to Matt for having me on, man. I appreciate it a lot. Dude, uh, follow Lucas. He does just incredible stuff. Um, I Again, I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Like his work is super thorough. It's interesting. I'm learning from it all the time. Your threads are great. Like just follow him. It's really, really good Nets stuff. And and that's important. I, w- I want to highlight people that really do good stuff in yeah. uh, in this in this world of things. Um, and I'll, I'll be hitting you up, man. I want to have you again 
on this show. I thought this was a good conversation. But um, for everybody listening, if you have not already subscribed, go ahead and do that on whatever podcast platform you're leaving or you're listening to this. And uh, give me a five-star rating. This is a good pod. So, you know, I think, think we've earned it here. Five-star rating. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much everything I got. Thank you, Lucas, for joining me. And I will see you guys soon. Peace. Thank you.